Hello and thank you for logging on to the Memory Gauge, your new favourite Digimon card game podcast. I'm your host, Connor, and today we have an absolutely massive episode for you where we take a look back at the recent Digimon Nationals, the biggest official events for the Digimon card game that we have seen yet. Now, these events are huge, so I decided to bring on some guests to help me break down exactly what happened, exactly what decks did the best at each event, and basically just go over everything that we learned from these events. And I couldn't decide whether I should cover the Oceania region nationals, because I am in the Oceania region, or if I should cover the North America regionals, because that is where most of you are from. So I decided to go big and do both, and I brought in two very awesome guests to help me talk about the Oceania nationals and then the North America Nationals. It's a huge discussion, so huge that I don't even have any more time to waste telling you about it. We're just going to get right into it. So please enjoy my discussion, first of all, with Sai from Digiburst about the Oceania Nationals. Alright, and now moving on to our main topic, we have a guest today to help me talk about the Oceania Nationals that occurred just last week. We have Digiburst, uh, who actually got into contact with me wanting to talk about it, so I'm very excited about this because I was a little bit lost, and thankfully uh, he's come through for me there. So thank you, uh, Sai, for coming on the show and yeah, it's, it's it's good to be here. Um, I've been listening for quite a while, and I've always wanted to um, uh, intermingle a lot more with the Glitchmon community, so it's it's good to be here. Yeah, like I enjoy the game, but definitely my favourite part of the the whole thing, the podcast, everything has been um just the the people that I've met and gotten to interact with. So I totally understand that. Um, where might our listeners know you from? First of all, I know you, that you're sort of also involved on the content creation side. Yeah, um, Digiburst, uh, of course, inspired by the uh, mechanic of Digimon. But um, first, first for me, it's a, it's a YouTube channel that that I run uh, based on my locals in Townsville, um, where I mostly put out profiles and games with some nice commentary. Um, but I like to do a little bit of exploring and experimenting on my um for the Digimon community. So uh, you probably know me from there. Awesome. I've just just been having a discussion just this week about wanting to myself start um start watching more gameplay and maybe consuming more content from from the Digimon card game. And so having somebody local who's um operating in the same roughly the same meta as me is uh very exciting. And I'm looking forward to checking out more of your stuff and I recommend all of our listeners do as well. Nice. Yeah, get that little plug in there early. So obviously we're here to talk about Nationals, which as of the time of this recording was very recent, just last weekend, I believe, which spins me out because it feels like this week has been going on forever. It already feels like like I've read so much about it and sort of it just feels like this thing that's happened quite a while ago, but it's actually very recent. But um, anyway, you obviously participated in the Oceania Nationals. Do you want to tell us a bit about 
what preparation you did and especially what deck you chose to bring to the event. Yeah. Um, so I had originally started with Jessmon because Jessmon um, I had the most experience with and it felt like the most um, streamlined deck to play. Um, but I felt like it didn't have enough um, um, like leeway or like, you know, um, flexibility in, yeah. in, in, in like if you get stuck in it in like um, a tunnel and it turns out the tunnel is in the wrong direction, you know, shift gears, but it's actually very, very hard to shift gears with just one. So um, I ended up taking um, uh, Gabby Bond instead. Gabby Bond, very original pick, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did put a little spice in there that I thought um, would elevate me a little bit above other Gabby Bond players, which uh, I ended up did. I did quite well against a lot of mirror matches and um, a lot of uh, decks that I expected would come into um, the forefront of the Nationals. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely be asking you about that um, about that spice a little bit later. But just for for the sake of the listeners, because this is something I've been thinking about a lot. I didn't get to participate, unfortunately. I was busy on the weekend, uh, of course. But um, just just the way that it goes. But I have put a lot of thought into what I would have brought, why I would have brought it, and then especially looking back on it and reflecting on those choices as well. And I think. Your um your point about Jessmon being obviously a very powerful deck, and we've heard a lot about it, especially mm. in the lead up to nationals. But um, not being a flexible deck, I think, mm. is a really good point because we saw with Garby Bond, which I think across all of the nationals events in Oceania, in North America, and in Europe, did very well that is not only a powerful deck but also can be a flexible deck if you get stuck you can sort of pivot into it's got kind of a rookie rush strategy just sort of built into it that you can kind of pivot into if you're not drawing your pieces and it's got a few different outs whereas i think on reflection the reason that Jessmon maybe across the three events didn't do as well has a lot to do with what you've pointed out is that i'm i'm Bogart yeah, that, that was my experience <laughs> too, especially going against other Jespon players. Um, I felt Jespon was the most predictable deck to play against um, in terms of knowing like where they're going, where they're potentially heading um, for their win condition for that match. So um, countering the deck was a lot easier than countering other decks. Yeah, that, and as as a primarily Jespon player, I have found that. Um, playing the deck it does tend to have sort of that like you're trying to build that Jessmon stack the stack is fairly predictable you're trying to have sister ones in hand or in trash and that's kind of the game plan and there's not really anything to pivot into from that so once people work out that that's what you're trying to do it you've, you've got one thing you're trying to do it's not too difficult to formulate a plan to disrupt one thing and then once that one thing is disrupted then the deck kind of doesn't have anything else to pivot into. Did mm. you um one one other thing I considered was just because of the sheer size of the events was the fact that Jessmon is really prone to those bricky hands a factor at all in choosing not to play it because that's something I've thought about since then and the fact that it didn't do too well across the three events which were obviously quite long. Yeah, bricking was um 
was a weakness that that I was sussing out for the deck that I was picking. Um, I, my my um, Gabriel deck ended up having sixteen rookies and um, eight um, tamers, so few, fewer options, few, fewer um, chances for it to brick than our typical decks. Um, so, of course, playing eight rounds plus, potentially nine rounds, um, depending on tiebreakers for the top uh, competitors. Um, bricking could mean like an end, the, the, a loss of a match and then suddenly you don't make the top cut that you hoped you would have. So, um, yeah, bricking was definitely a factor in when I, when I chose Gabriel Awesome. And you did mention that you had some secret spice that you brought as well. Is that so secret you can't share with us, or am I? No, I can. I, I can definitely share it with you. Uh, I, oh, I, I've, okay. I've, I've got deck profiles for my coming out um, on my channel. Um, but the main points that differs mine from other Gabriel decks was I was playing the Mechanorimon package. So that's two Mechanorimons and um, two Absolute Blasts and a Sora Joe. Oh, okay, cool. Um, this was specifically teched out against, um, there are, there, there are a lot of rookie rush approach decks in this particular matter. Um, Jess Morgan sometimes rookie rush with their Blancs and their, um, and their level threes. Uh, there's D Brigade, there's Gabby Bond, of course. Um, and, uh, Diaboromon can also rush a bit with their, um, tokens. So Mechanorimon posed a really good position to counter those four decks that are incredibly prevalent um, in the uh, tournament. And that was a majority of those of my matches. Like those four decks were a majority of my matches. Um, so Mechanorimon did really well to counter that, um, especially Gabrybond. Um, Gabrybond's specific app to Mechanorimon is the Gabrybond, but if they're not set up with their mat, um, and you get out the Mechanorimon early, then you stop their, um, their chips and they're, they're chipping into the, into your security. And if you can do that early, then you can just remove bodies with the, with your own gummy bond or, um, really take advantage of having, of, of getting your own swings into their security while they can't respond to it. Yeah. Very nice. The, the Mechanorimon, something I played around with, with in, uh, my gummy bond as well. And you mentioned the, Absolute Blast. Uh, yes. So Absolute Blast and Sora Joe were cards I specifically put in for the uh, security control matchup. Um, Absolute Blast uh, yeah. um, has the effect where it takes out a source from the bottom of a Digimon, um, and then it puts a Digimon with no sources at the bottom of the deck. Um, six costs. This is really good to remove um, things that are hard played by security control, uh, especially threats that are like really, really big blockers like Cranimon. Um, Securiamon when they just hard play it so they counter your Gabrybond coming out of security or um, uh, the big purple bird that gives plus one security attack that kills Garmon from a hard play oh, um, <laughs> or- Ornismon? Yeah, or- yeah, that's it um, so removing those those threats were really good um, to counter security control uh, especially when security control I think was the hardest matchup for the deck um and time was an issue too. You don't want to go on the time against security and shock because it just ends up being a draw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, and the Sora exactly, Joe yeah. helped facilitate that too because, you know, um, it helps trash sources and uh, can potentially take out um, sources for your uh, absolute blast to take out the things that did have a lot of sources. Yeah. And I'm assuming that the extra memory of the Sora and Joe 
was not was came in handy as well. Oh yeah, that uh, that was definitely appreciated against um, Gabby Bond decks. You like the hard play their rookies um, yeah. as well as other Bond decks. Just one decks that put out their systemons, and of course security control putting out just hard playing megas. All right. So how did you do? How did you uh, finish at the end of the event? Uh, I did. I did pretty well. I was pretty happy with myself. Uh, five wins, two losses, one draw. Um, nice. Out of eight rounds, that ended me at forty eighth place. Uh, in the last round, if I had, uh, I was in. I was twenty second in the last round. If I had taken the last game, I would have ended between thirteenth place and sixteenth place, which oh, would have put wow. me in day two. Um, but unluckily, uh, I just didn't see the right cards at the right time. Oh, unlucky, but still, that is a very impressive, very impressive ranking. And mm. I, I was I was very good. satisfied with myself. Um, I, my my goal oh, for the event was top 128. Um, so to oh, so oh. to have potentially hit out top 16 in the last round, I was very happy with the result. I think that is fantastic. Congratulations! Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. So it must have been a. Must have been a very exciting run. Um, do you remember any any highlights from the day? Your best or your most interesting matches, coolest plays, that kind of thing. Um, my biggest highlight from the event wasn't a specific play, but like the actual community environment from Oceanics. It really surprised me just how like fun and welcoming um, Oceanics was um, for an incredibly high level event. Um, for an event to have like such like high stakes and pressure, like this is the this is the biggest event that's not worlds um, for my region. Um, for everyone just to be so laid back and and um, friendly, it was it was surreal. <laughs> um, so that 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 definitely helped with my nerves because um, I was quite nervous going into the event, um, yeah. having having trained for this event for the last three weeks. Um, so that that was that was number one. Um, number two for Pacific matchups, um, there was a three musketeers player. I felt like I counted him really well because three musketeers rely on setting up their trash to have their uh, options and their three musketeers in the trash so they can make their uh, stars cheaper. Um, I counted this play by going into uh, Kendo Garuru. Um, which can put their level threes back in the hand. Therefore, uh, their on-deletion effects won't trigger, and their on-deletion effects, which usually set up their graves, like their Ipmons and like their Demi-Meromons, won't trigger, um, which really set them behind um, for their setup. So I was able to take that game pretty easily with that. Um, another one was I did the same thing with um, Jessmon. So Jessmon, I think he bricked pretty hard and was hard, just hard playing uh, rookies for a rookie rush approach. And I was just bouncing back the hand with the Kendo Groom one. Kendo Groom was actually really, really good um, for uh, that specific strategy. Um, but that isn't necessarily the um, ideal strategy for them, but it turns out it counters the, the, the second option pretty well. Very nice. I always love to hear of um those those instances where you just find a, a new 
use for a card or you find out that a card is actually maybe better than you had assessed it or mm. it's it's just useful in an unexpected way. Those are the moments that as a player I kind of live for. Is, um, those moments that surprise me even as the person running the deck, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. <laughs> that is that is really cool. The like those those Imons and stuff, those level threes especially in the, the musketeers can really help set them up. So just turning them off more or less entirely with the Kendo Garubon is a is a really good use of it. Hmm. Um and let me just go over my matches again. No worries. Um, the Diaboramon player was really, really friendly. This was my round one. Um, so she was amazing for like, um, for like setting up the environment of the tournament because, uh, I was very, very nervous. So she helped me calm down my nerves, but, um, so that was a highlight for that one. Um, and against, Uh, against Gabu Bond, uh, Ice Wall is a thing. Ice Wall is very much a thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Gabu Bond mirrors. Um, uh, Gabu Bond mirrors uh, come up to whoever plays the Ice Walls at the right time and whoever has them at the right time. Uh, my opponent at one point double Ice Walled me, um, turn off turn, and that essentially bought, bought him enough turns to um, push out his guys and just get the security hits in. Um, uh, another one, um, an, an, another little intricacy um, in the Gabobon matchup is Octomon. Uh, Octomon um, is generally the biggest DP you have in the deck besides the, the Gabobon. So if you're heading into security with a boosted Octomon with uh, Demi Vimon underneath it, um, generally it's going to live every single time it hits, unless it hits Gabobon. Um, so if you get your Octomon out really early and just start hitting security, um, like freestyling, uh, then it's going to live and then you can get another hit next turn and it just keeps going and going. Um, that's another thing I found with Garibon, that little intricacy. Um, but unfortunately it didn't work out for me in the last round because I ran into a Garibon. <laughs> oh, of course. Oh, had to happen. Mm, it does. It did have to happen. Uh, oh, one one last highlight um, with my round six Garibond mirror match. Uh, I had three Garibond mirror matches, um, and I won two and lost the last one. Um, so this was my second Garibond mirror match. Um, he had me pretty pretty sold in the second game when he was swinging with Garibonds, and he had a Mecha, a uh, a Medoki Beatamon uh, set up. So if he hits into Ice Walls or Hammer Sparks in my security, I won't be um, getting back that two memory because the Goku Beatamon stops it. Um, yeah. He ran, uh, he had like, uh, he had two checks left with my two security um, with two memory. So the so I'm predicting, oh, he's going to hit him with his two um, and then pay two for the, um, for the Lobo Mon for game. So um, when he hit, when he hits in um, with his Gabu Bond, uh, I sorry he's got he's got two 
rookies with the Gary Bond and then and then the Lobo in hand, I'm, I'm assuming. So he hits him with the last Gary Bond check. It reveals to be the um, the absolute blast. So uh, so absolute blast returns the Madoki Beatamon to the bottom of the deck. He's still got game on board with the Lobo in hand. I'm, I'm I'm thinking. So he hits him with his last rookie. It's the Hammer Spark. Oh, Hammer Spark oh, puts him on zero. He can no longer pay for the Lobo Mon for game. And then... <laughs> oh. So, yeah, that's how I took that one. <laughs> white knuckle moments. Oh. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It just it just had to be that exact, the exact cards. And, it, and that's what it was. <laughs> so... Obviously, it sounds like you were pretty successful across the day, but I will ask anyway, knowing what you know now in retrospect, if you could go back and do it again, would you choose to bring a different deck or make any changes to your deck? I'm going to guess you'll stick with the Garby Bond, but is there anything you would change up about it? No, absolutely not. My deck was 100% perfect. I had I had no issues with the deck whatsoever. It played exactly the way I wanted it and exactly the way I built it. Um it was a 10 of 10 deck would not change a thing. I only wish that my luck was better. <laughs> oh, I, I know that feeling very well. And I'm sure that longtime listeners of the podcast will, uh, will know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. I, my luck. Yeah. I know. I know how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, um, what I also wanted to do was take a look at the decks that finished at the top of the event. So I have the top 16 from the Oceania event. There's mm-hmm. the kind of the spread. And just have a talk about what we kind of think maybe that means about our particular meta and particular event. Because it, what I've found looking at all these different Nationals events is that it really made clear the differences between the Oceania meta versus the North America meta versus the European meta, and then, of course, versus the Japanese meta back when they had these cards, but is also kind of a whole different beast because they play best of one rather than best of three, making mm. entirely different decks. Well, not necessarily entirely different decks, but definitely changing up what is quote-unquote best. So I believe that it was actually a Jessmon deck that won the Oceania event, if I'm remembering that correctly. I don't know if you... Oh, um, or... after after nine rounds of of just hard Digimon, I had to just take a break for a couple of days. So that, that I, I apologize. Great. I have I haven't seen the Oceanic um, Day Two card decks. No, that is okay. Um, I'm fairly certain that I'm remembering that correctly when I say that it was actually a Jessmon deck that did end up winning the Oceania event, but it was not the most represented deck in the top sixteen. Uh, I think, without even saying it, we can all know what the most represented deck was. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, mm. Garby Bond across all of the events was very heavily represented, um, being not just... Which I think it speaks to, as you were saying earlier, the fact that it is not just a powerful Tier 1 deck in terms of what it's capable of, but it is also, despite the fact that it has a weird spread of levels and everything, it is also very, very consistent, very adaptable. It has a good matchup against Jessmon, which was one of the sort of big three along with Garby Bond and sort of three Musketeers slash sick control going into the event. So already you're like 
you've got the rock paper scissors factor going for you playing the mm. garbage one and then as you said with when you were going through all of your texts it can also adapt really well to what is its quote-unquote weakness being the three musketeers and the security control so even the deck that beats it in the rock paper scissors matchup doesn't necessarily have like as strong a win over it as Gabriel has over Jesper. I think another element um, when you're talking about the rock paper scissors is the uh, time element. Yeah. Um, when you're in a, like a high stress environment like this, um, you you're, you often have to sit and think about your moves for a little bit longer than what you're used to or what you would like to. Um, so I think a lot of security control in Three Musketeer players um, and Lilith Loot players actually as well uh, went into time uh, and therefore knocked themselves out of the potentially top um, of the competition. And, and and that actually makes it an easier mark for Jessmon to get to the top because the, the decks that counter the um, Gabrigond uh, just aren't there. Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. I want to I have something else to add to that, but I think you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so looking at the top 16, the spread, it looks like there were, I think I'm counting that correctly, some of these decks are a little bit hard to figure out exactly what they are, security control, but um, it looks to be three Jessmon decks amongst the 16 at the top of the Oceania Day 2. It looks to be, if I'm counting this correctly, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven Garbibon decks of the top 16. So very nearly half of the spread is Garbibon. Mm. And then you've obviously got security control slash... And I'm kind of... Maybe being a little bit disingenuous saying security control slash three musketeers, but I think by the time we headed into the Nationals event, those decks did start to meld together. People realized that BL Starmon was a good security control card in general. The the mm. decks definitely started to merge a bit as we headed into um Nationals, I feel. I don't know. Is that what you found actually participating on the day? Or? Uh, yes and no. Well, okay. um, the security control decks, that while they are putting in Bill Stars and other level 7 uh, options, they definitely do not play the same way that Three Musketeers deck. Okay. So I, I would hesitate to say it's a Three Musketeer merge, more like um, it's just taking Bill Stars. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that, right. that, 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 that's how I think of it. I am... Very happy to be uh, wrong, and this is why I'm very happy that you've come on to share your experience of actually playing against these decks. <laughs> uh, so it looks like two security control decks, uh, and I think I'm counting that correctly. My maths is not going to add up because this is not a very useful spreadsheet, but it looks to be a fairly equal spread otherwise of security control, Lilith Loop, and Commandramon. So, far and away, the most represented deck in the Oceania Top 16 being Garby Bond, and I think that reflects what we saw across all of the other three events. We've talked about kind of why that deck was such a runaway, 
and we've talked about why Jess Mom was maybe not featured as much, but can we go over for our listeners, what is it about um, Lilith Loop that kind of came out of nowhere to do really well? It, well, maybe not came out of nowhere, but did really well in all of the events. Uh, for uh, OCA specifically or for uh, all of Nationals? Well, it, it it was represented pretty well in all of Nationals. Like if I look yeah. at North, North America spread in the top 32, six of those decks were Lilith Loop. So I think a lot of it comes down to how um, the intricacies of webcam gaming. Um, there are <laughs> a lot of effects that go off in a single turn for Lilith Loop. And you can easily be overwhelmed by how many effects are going off. And for someone who might not be the most experienced against the deck, um, this can easily lead to um, misplays or um, not the best choices um, for for countering the deck. Uh, I know in my personal experience, uh, I haven't played against Lilith Loop very very often, I went against a Little Food player, and that was my first loss in the uh, in the tournament. Um, so, for my experience, it was um, a lack of experience. Um, but I can understand a lot of other players um, having having issues with that. And uh, I think webcam tournaments also contribute to that as well, because it's much more difficult to to um, to say, "Hey, can you slow down? I want you to read up specific cards." Um, I want you to um, lay out the step-by-step. I want you to stop and tell me what's going on in this moment. Don't just say this effect activates. Just say, you need to tell me the whole effect. Um, It's very different to in-person playing where you can actually, you know, pick up the cards. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So, yeah, yeah. I I, I think webcam does exacerbate that factor just a little bit. Um, And I think... That's the reason why um, Lilith Loop was a little bit more prevalent than we thought it might be. Wow, that is, that's a really interesting take on it. I had not considered the fact that it was a deck very well suited to the webcam sort of environment. But as you say that, it suddenly starts to make a lot of sense because I um, have played against Lilith Loop a fair bit. Maybe not the current version of it, but previous versions of it, especially because a friend of mine who I've played against a lot plays Lilith Loop as one of the main decks in his rotation. So I've played against it maybe more even than most people, and it does become exhausting trying to keep track of everything that is going on. So I can see that um, playing, bringing that deck to a big, to a long tournament where people have to stay on top of the game for an extended period of time. You're playing for like yes. eight, nine hours. Yes. Exhaustion does, exhaustion is a factor. Definitely um, for, a factor. For, for keeping up with it. Yeah. For, for anyone listening at home who wants to compete in these high level events and stay competitive, um, taking advantage of any break time you get, uh, using it wisely to recharge those mental batteries as best you can is definitely uh, an important part of making sure that you're going to give yourself the best chance of doing well because the the fatigue that sets in by the time you've been playing these games and thinking really, really hard for a long time is absolutely um, what is going to start going to be a factor, in, especially in those later games. Mm. And to give credit to webcam events, 
um, that actually it actually gives a lot more opportunity to recharge than um, in-person longer-term events. So um, with 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 players um, of this amount of this capacity um, of, for in-person events, um, the, you would often go in, in, into um, nine rounds <laughs> and even day twos, um, and to do that in person is even more exhausting than. Um, than uh, on webcam. So at least on webcam, you can step away from the computer, um, have something to eat from the fridge, talk to other people about things that aren't Digimon, uh, um, you know, watch some TV, play Switch, whatever. Um, so you can you can you can separate you know that real life from the game and switch and come back and forth to research. Uh, in in real life events where you do go for that long, um, or you can talk about. Is the game, or you can you can do trades, you can socialize, but that's still all about the game. Uh, there's there's a lot and um, there's a lot fewer opportunities to get food. Um, you need to have that. You need to have that water bottle packed, otherwise you're not going to be getting any water. <laughs> there's um, yeah, that's some credit to to webcam events, uh, recharging um, regular life, and, and uh, it's, it's it's a little bit easier. All right. The the last thing I think I wanted to talk about before we head off here, I'm just keeping an eye on the time. Um, mm. Just uh, I do talk. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, which is pro- probably why we've uh, managed to go on so long without even realizing that, that no, this has been excellent. I don't and I don't want to rush you in any way, but I will the, say that the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about was. Um, Jespon, obviously, well, maybe not obviously because I'm still not 100% sure, but I'm like 90% sure because I was really excited about it as a Jespon player, um, ended up taking out the Oceania event and was represented three decks in the top 16. And then we look at the North America top 32 decks, no Jespon, one Argubond. Do you have... Any speculation in your experience as someone who's obviously thought about the Digimon card game a lot, played it a lot, do you have any speculation why Jessmon might have done better in our meta over here in Oceania versus North America? And I know that's a big question to kind of drop at the end, <laughs> but um, it's something that I've been really pondering over this week. I... No, I don't know. I don't know. Just, just one, weird, right? Just, just one has is one of those decks where I thought I knew it, and then I played it, and I, 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 I feel like I know it, and then I put it down, and then someone else picks it up, and they do it much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, if I had to speculate, my my thinking is that Argubond has been getting. I've definitely seen a lot out of Argubond, especially out of content creators in the last sort of couple of weeks. It feels like every other day I'm seeing somebody realizing, oh, Argubond is actually pretty good. And it is. It is pretty good. It's just that it gets sort of put up against Garbubond and Garbubond is this behemoth. So Argubond gets a little bit left behind because it doesn't have quite the same tool set and the same um staying power but i think it's caught on a bit more in north america than it did in oceania um and it's just re- it's just one of those things that i thought was really 
interesting to see the effects of that on the on the um what decks actually did well because mm. I if if I had been able to play I was going to bring my chess one deck and so now <laughs> that I'm looking at the the results and how it actually did and thinking about it I'm starting to think oh maybe maybe I wouldn't have done as well as I hoped maybe <laughs> that that was not the strongest choice I could have made. Uh, one thing with Archibond is that it did get um, a bit of a little bit of a boost from EX1. Um, yeah. Americans have had EX1 for a lot less time than we have, um, so maybe uh, the less exposure um, some players had to EX1 gave um, Archibond a little bit of a boost uh, compared to other decks. Uh, what what um what I like to think of as the new hotness factor. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, which is very understandable. You want to play with the latest, newest, hottest toys and Well, you you wanna you wanna catch your opponent off guard and not know yeah. uh how these cards work um with each other. Yes, if you can um and that's where part of what I think contributed to the success of Lilith Loop and some of those mm. maybe off decks like there was a Diaboramon deck that made it all the way to the North American top 32. I think there is definitely when you're coming into a um a big event like this and you're planning what deck you want to play, what cards you want to play in that deck, obviously look to what are the quote-unquote best decks and that's information that should be readily available, but don't discount the power of going a little bit off meta, off the beaten track, as you yourself did with the card choices you made in Garbibond and as some other players did with their deck choices i think there's definitely a bit of strength in playing something that your opponent is not ready to play against and i've definitely been taken off guard and i'm sure this happened to you in your event maybe you have an example for us but i've definitely been taken off guard in big events by a deck that was just not on my radar and it's not necessarily stronger than any of the decks i'm ready for but it's just like oh my god i have not devoted any thinking time in the lead up to this event thinking about how my deck is meant to beat this strategy i've got nothing i'm like trying to adapt on the fly and then the the other player takes out the win just because you're not ready for it and they can prepare for you because everybody knew going into it that it was like oh gabby bond uh jessmon like i've got to beat those decks but yeah, that was my experience. Thinking about how to be ancient Troymon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was my experience with with Lilith Loop. Um, I knew that Lilith Loop was going to be um, a deck that was going that I was eventually going to go up against. It's just that unfortunately, no one in my local area plays Lilith Loop, <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't prepare for it um, to, to how much I would like to. Yeah, finding those practice matches against the decks that you really need to practice against can be difficult. Mm. Especially especially depending on your locals. I know that I've definitely turned up to locals and rather than playing against anything I expected to play, everybody kind of decides, you know what, let's all play purple. Everyone's going to play purple today. Like, well, this is okay. I was hoping to get some nationals practice in, and this is never going to happen, but okay. It's fun. <laughs> so, yeah. What what I would recommend to our listeners is sign up to our Discord, where there are plenty of people <laughs> who love <laughs> playing webcam games and who can help you get the practice you need leading up to those big events. Mm. 
or just kit yeah i suppose the fact that webcam gaming has become so prevalent is actually really good for that kind of thing you can um start to find those online matches especially if your locals is maybe a bit smaller or doesn't really play the decks you do need to be practicing against or any of those factors mm. okay looking at the time we've done very well i'm very i'm very pleased with us i think we've <laughs> managed to cover quite a lot here so i thank you so much for um being here and sharing your insight with us it's been great to hear about the oceania nationals from from the view of somebody who got to participate i tried to watch as best i could but um yeah uh, thank you so much for having me um i don't think oceanics nationals was covered as as uh Mm. as heavily as other nationals were um but it was really nice to participate in um especially seeing um the difference in like um environment the oceanics had compared to other nationals i was watching um the americans on oh my gosh they were they are <laughs> they are they are stiff <laughs> <laughs> understandable because they have so many more players um i think they had up to 900 players in that competition while oceanics had up had about 400 um, and everybody who participated in the north american nationals had to had yes. to earn a, a spot there as well which adds yes. an extra level of like it's the the most competitive 900 players in that region oh yeah represented oh, yeah. so you can see why that is maybe a different vibe but no i'm very happy to be playing down here with our um more maybe more relaxed sort of uh environment yeah I'm, i was i was really um happy with that too <laughs> No. Well, hopefully our our listeners have um gotten a lot out of hearing about a different uh a different nationals environment. Just uh because it it just has been not not something I thought of before this weekend, but with the nationals sort of putting it at um you know putting it into the spotlight. I've really spent this week thinking about the differences between all the different regions and the way that they tend to play the game and the decks that they tend to play. And it's been really interesting thought exercises. And I think even just as a spectator, it's made me a better player. So thank you for coming on and uh, hopefully helping all our listeners as well develop as players. We really appreciate it. That's all good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh. And before you go, is there anything else you would like to promote or remind our listeners about? Where can they find you if they want to hear more? And they should uh, definitely want to hear more because yeah, it's uh, very insightful. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, check out my YouTube channel, of course, Digiburst. Um, yep. I cover a lot of, um, well, luckily, Australia has been getting more um, products earlier than Americans. So I've been, I've been blessed by being able to cover those products before. Uh, they get their hands on it. So um, if you want, if you want to see newer product be featured before them, <laughs> check out my channel. Uh, especially if you're Australian, you want to see uh, more Australian content creators. Check out Digiverse. I, I, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being here, site. And for our listeners, now we're going to jump to another discussion, getting the North American nationals perspective. All right, and we're back now to talk about the North American side of the Nationals. And we do have another guest here to help us out who participated in the North American Nationals. We're here 
with Shark Flynn, also known as Alex. Alex, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Yes, and thank you for having me. It looked pretty interesting, so I... (laughs) Well, pretty interesting is about the level that I try to hit here, so (laughs) hopefully we can maintain that. Um, So obviously you're a player of the Digimon card game. Would our listeners know you from anywhere else? Do you have any kind of other presence around the place? in the Digimon community? Yeah, probably not. I usually, uh, I don't spend too much time on social media. I don't have much of a social media presence. Uh, players might have seen me under Shark Flynn on several of the servers because I uh, usually try to play online tournaments when I can, but other than that, unless they've been to uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada, they probably, <laughs> yeah, probably haven't heard of me from anywhere else. No, fair enough, but always nice to know where um, where people are coming from and that they might have seen you around on the discords. So, we'll start off with talking about um, your Nationals experience, starting with what deck did you choose to bring to Nationals? All right, uh, I ended up taking uh, the Tree Musketeers deck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, Tree, technically two Musketeers. I didn't run Magna Kidmon, it was just... Uh... <laughs> As most people do, it was just a Beale Star and a Gundramon. Yeah, very nice. So, what what was it that caused you to bring three Musketeers? What was the decision making process behind that? Well, the main reason was that it was that that guy was uh, aside from being pretty decent in general and like it's definitely one of the top decks, but uh, it was also the deck I was uh, like I wouldn't call it the best deck in the format, but I thought it was still reasonably well enough that it could compete. And uh, it was also the deck I was most familiar with. Mm. Uh, I played a few tournaments with it before. I uh, got 32nd in uh, TAK regionals with it uh, oh, in December. Nice. So yeah, I figured that was a good sign for it. So I <laughs> yeah, I kept that one, but that was before EX1 came out. And uh like the other option I was planning on running was uh giving Lil Loop a try because uh that deck also seemed really strong too and as uh, shown by the results after it was very strong. But Ooh, uh yeah, I didn't hmm? Yeah, definitely looking at the results, Lilith Loop had a bit of a showing in the end. Yeah. And uh my uh only problem with that though is that deck that can be like really complicated and I didn't feel I had enough practice with it to actually like, uh, be able to pilot it effectively. So I, uh, it also didn't help that, like, uh, right at the end of, uh, December, uh, yeah, because, uh, yeah, in North America, we didn't get, uh, EX1 until the end of January, and right at the end of December, like, around here, we got, uh, hit with another, uh, pandemic wave, so everything shut down, so there wasn't any tournaments or anything to practice. The actual, uh, like, uttered in a, a few, like, we got a few online tanks, but that was only yeah. three or four people. And uh, the other guy in our locals who uh, also had an Nets invite, uh, and, like, he fell over the game for a bit, so uh, he wasn't available to practice with, so it was just... Uh, so yeah, probably so... a good choice, then, to go with the deck that you felt more comfortable with. I think that's something that maybe people... Don't t- 
don't necessarily overlook, but that's definitely a factor when you're choosing your deck for a big event like this, I've found, is not just to go with what you think is going to be the best, but make sure that either you have the chance to get the practice with it, or you're um, feeling comfortable with it, because if you don't know how to operate it, then it's not going to suit you well in the actual event. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and that was... Uh... Yeah, and I felt comfortable with Three Musketeers, so that's the one I went with. And I had, uh, I went through the trouble of buying the alt art uh, Beal Star, so I might as well use them. <laughs> nice. Got, got to get that, get that bling. Yeah. Very cool. So, how did you, um, how did you finish in the tournament? How did you do across the day? Are you happy with your performance? Uh, I think I could have played a bit better in some cases. I ended up going five uh, four in day one. Yeah. Overall, there were definitely some parts where uh, I feel I probably could have played a little better or uh, done stuff a little tighter. But uh, yeah, I think overall it was okay. Uh, I tried. Uh, uh, I uh, was uh, in the final round of day one. I was. Uh, Sorry, guy was uh, yeah four tree, not not four tree, yeah five tree, and I was uh hoping maybe to get to uh like with a six tree I could possibly get uh and top uh a hundred and a uh, top a hundred and twenty eight, and that would give um, I think you got like I don't know a small prize for that, so tried to get that one, but uh yeah it didn't really. Yeah, got uh, got pretty rushed out by uh, a Gabu Bond, not Gabu Bond. It was the other Bond, uh, Agu Bond. Agu Bond, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh no, too fast. (laughs) Yeah, that deck can be really fast, unfortunately. But I think you know the the North American Nationals. You you had to have an invite from winning a store championship to yes. make it to those nationals, didn't you? So really, this is all the, probably mostly the more dedicated Digimon players participating in this event. And I would say, I think, you know, finishing with a positive win-loss ratio is pretty impressive considering the the quality of the players that you would have been going up against. Oh yeah, I'm definitely not unhappy with it. It was uh, yeah. definitely still a really fun time overall. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. the the way I always like to think about it, because I lose a lot, so I need to do this sort of, you know, self-talk <laughs> kind of thing, um, is if everything is equal, then you're going to win exactly half of your games, because there's two, you know, you and one other person, and if everything is equal between you, when you're sitting down across from that other player, you're going to win half the time, because it'll be a coin flip. So if you come out with a positive win-loss ratio, that's pretty good. You're doing better than, like, a coin flip. <laughs> you're right. doing better than random luck, so... I think that's yeah. that is pretty impressive, and congratulations on on that, Alex. Yeah. Yeah, that also reminds me of uh, another uh, like an antidote some mm-hmm. someone said about uh, like just TCGs in general. They about uh, how to like no matter who you're playing against, like there's always a chance you can win or lose. Mm. Like regardless yeah. of like some sort of skill, you could be playing the best player in the world, but of like the card game like their cards are going to be no better than yours or yeah you could be i like playing that. someone that just walked in and uh or you could be playing like against someone who just walked into a store and like they could still potentially beat you 
because um, again, their cards are no like you're playing the same cards, same game. So it's like there's that's part the part of variance of that is what makes like TCGs and Digimon fun. Yeah, as much as we might curse those uh those poor starting hands and that kind oh, yeah, of thing, for sure. it, it, that variance does keep it interesting for sure. Yeah. All right. Were there any highlights from the day? Thinking back on it, I know it was a little while ago at the time of this recording, but uh, any any of you like? Can you tell us about your most interesting matches, coolest plays? What were some of the highlights of the day for you? Well, I had to think back a bit because uh, like nine rounds of a day, unless you're oh, yeah. actively recording it, true, they do sort of blend <laughs> together sometimes. Uh, the for one of the ones I remember though, I had a. Really like close. The first match I actually had against Rookie Rush was extremely close. Oh, nice! Like we had a uh, like we had a game three where uh, like we we went to game three and uh, I had to uh, like he played his cards. I got out a uh, uh, the black Gilshwart Gilshwarmer. Uh, oh, Gilshwarmer, yeah, 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 Gilshwarmer. I got that to wipe his board. Then he came back again. Then I Gilshwarmered again. <laughs> Oh, and then yeah. I, uh, like, uh, then I end up, like, ending a turn with a, uh, Mechanori out. Ooh. And, but he still, and I had to kill one of his guys, and he still had, like, but he had, so he had a bunch of memory. So I was just hoping that he didn't have a way to kill the, yeah, the, he could, yeah. didn't have a way to kill the Mechanori because he had, like, one of his spirals was already in the grave from, uh, security. And he was out of security, and I was out of security. So uh, what happened in the end was that uh, he evolved onto uh, the rookie he just flipped and ended up getting a second Starsmon. Oh. So he Starsmon twice and then oh. attacked with his creatures to oh, finish man. me off. It was like, oh, man. <laughs> so close. So close. And, like, I get a second Starmon was also, like, well, it was right on top of the deck, too, because he was thinking for a while about, okay, what do I do here? Because he had... I realized, like, like he could have, like, probably played more defensively and not tried to mm. get the second Starmon, but... I think those but, are the situations uh, where knowing your deck list really well does help oh, yeah. you out, because it's it's that, that numbers game, right? Of, like, okay, so I could play defensively, or I could try to dig for the answer that I need. How many cards have I got left? What are the odds that when, you know, I've got this number of card draw, I can do, what are the odds? And sometimes it pays off. And sometimes oh, yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> like, if it was me, it probably wouldn't have paid off. <laughs> but, but uh, it sounds yeah, like they, well, they got pretty lucky A lot there. of times... Oh, sorry. No, but, go uh, for it. Yeah, a lot of times, too, like... I think uh, a lot of times, like, people will sometimes play too defensively mm. as opposed to, like, uh, rather than take the risk. But um, another good thing for that is, like, uh, like you're playing to, you're not playing to survive, you're playing to win the game. Yeah. So, if, like, you just play to, like, not die on the turn. Like, does that, like, are you just delaying the inevitable by playing defensively, or would it be better to take the risk and potentially win? Yeah, ultimately, you do at some point have to actively try to win the game. Otherwise, you can stall all yeah. you like, but you're still not going to end up with a win unless you take those chances. Yeah. I like that. Any any other highlights before we move on? 
I know it's nine uh, rounds. It was a while ago. Oh yeah, there, it's a lot to like a, think about. A few uh, other small things. Uh, one of them was uh, yeah, after losing match one, I was like, uh, okay, I can. I, I've rolled the losers bracket in the tournament before, so <laughs> trying to. And from there, I played against one deck that had. Uh, it was pretty interesting. It was like. It was sort of Gabu Bond, but it was playing uh, Where Garuma Sagittarius mode. Oh, okay. And uh, I I think most of this actual game plan was uh, put Sagittarius onto the. Oh, sorry. The Where Garuma that uh, gives security attack plus one. Yep, okay. So it just kept hitting me with a bunch of security attacks, and that was kind of unexpected. <laughs> yeah, that. That is a bit odd. I've not seen. I've seen many versions of Garby Bond. I haven't seen that version. That's yeah. that's an interesting uh, game plan there. Yeah, there was a uh, also like uh, a a uh, one uh, interesting play was like I think it was my turn one. I was on the draw and uh, I was against Rookie Rush and I my hand was mostly bricks, so I just uh, hard casted a Gundramon. For all <laughs> eleven memory, and it was like, Oof. well, they can't, they couldn't actually kill it, so it was it stayed there and blocked for quite a while. So that was nice. <laughs> no, it's nice when those desperate decisions pay off. Yeah, that's what I like about uh, uh, Digimon too. It's uh, like I've uh, played uh, like I also play. Like play a lot of Magic Gathering, and yeah. in Magic you can get hands where you just can't do anything at all. Like you can't play because you don't have enough mana. You just can't play your cards, so you just pass. But at least in Digimon, even if it's not like a optimal play, you can still technically always make a play. Usually, like yeah. even if it is like drop your ultimate for seven or eight, it's still like well at least I played a card, and there's a <laughs> chance I might be able to come back. Yeah, like, I think uh, people um people underestimate the power of playing that level five out to the field when you don't have another option. Like people really don't like hard playing those cards, but so, like sometimes you have to. And if they can't remove it straight away, or if they don't, sometimes it can put you in a really good position. I've found. Oh yes, especially early game too, where mm. it's uh, they have less resources to deal with it or to take advantage of the amount of memory you gave them. Yeah, like, early in the game, your opponent's most likely going to spend all that memory digivolving up through their chain anyway, which is what they would do already, so... Yeah. Yeah, they don't necessarily want to spend that early game memory on removing something rather than developing their own board, so just keep it in mind, listeners at home. It can can pay off more often than you might think. I remember this wasn't in uh, this tournament, but uh, I think one I went turn one uh, high Andromon. Hmm. Which was uh that's the like ten cost mega and they didn't kill it, so it was like then on my night then I just ev- then later I just evolved it onto this was playing uh the black ramp deck or the black oh, yeah. uh yeah. toolbox with the uh, level seven, so then I went to like Zork Defeat, Killed or Tamer, then into X Antibody and X Antibody just won the game from there. <laughs> See, there you go. Paid off. Yeah. And, it doesn't uh, always happen that way, but it's nice when it doesn't it does. always, but yeah. Uh, just uh, another, uh, yeah, and another, uh, like just a quick story I could think of. Well, it's not yeah. Like uh, 
It's just like one of those fun turns when you get the uh, 12 uh, Musketeers and level 7s in Graveyard, so your uh, build stars are free. Oh. So, because normally you just like, normally your turns are like one option, one uh, build star, and like that usually uses up all your memory. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and always just setting up onto, like putting stuff in your graveyard. Uh, but, yeah, there was this one long turn where I was at four memory. And I had a, uh, yeah, I think I had a Zwart Defeat and Play and uh, a Soundbird Mon. So I uh, use Soundbird Mon to attack the security, gain one memory, go to five. Yeah. Then uh, have Zwart Defeat, attack security, bring the Bill Star back to hand. Uh, play uh yeah, because this is how it, when I had to play a, the Beale Star Mon in hand, quote uh, Shormer his board. Then I had to uh, play the play the Imp Mon. Had to discard a Gundramon in hand, so the security, so the so it remained uh, twelve Tree Musketeers and Sevs in the grave. Got another Beale Star Mon back. Played that Beale Star Mon. Used Ooh. the Nail Bone. To bring back a promote, use the promote to attack their last security, then had then evolved the Impmon into uh, another promote in hand to uh, for to rush in for Leto. Oh my gosh! So it was. So yeah, a bit it's of a always turn. fun. When, yeah, it's always fun when you can make those. That's partially why I like Lilith Whoop too. You just have these insane turns that. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there is something that's really fun about those turns are just, I do this, and then I do this, and then I get to do this, and it, like those huge turns where you get a lot of effects can be really fun. I also want to give a little shout out to uh, the card Emergency Program Shutdown for <laughs> shutting me down in several games. It's like, this yeah. was, like, there was some stuff I prepared for, but that was something I just did not see coming at all, and it's like, oh, this is actually really good against me. Yeah, that is a card I've been playing around with as well for exactly that matchup because, yeah, turning off yeah. option cards against the right deck can be super powerful, as it turns out. Yeah, like there was this uh, one match against a Jacemon player and they like brought Jacemon out, swung at it, got rid of a bunch of my security. I'm like, okay, I can just uh, kill the Jacemon on the backswing in, uh, next turn and they got nothing. And then they played the emergency program. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, I can't. What do I do now? Oof. That was also uh, interesting card. It also says uh, had to make sure it said use instead of play. Yeah. Because I yeah. So it's like uh, I can't even play them off Bill Star. So. Which which is very nice if you're the person yeah. using the emergency program shutdown. That oh yeah for to... sure. It's like yeah, it's definitely something I'm going to have to look into too when deck building. Oh yeah, which kind yeah. sort of brings us to the the next topic. That I wanted to talk about, or the next question. Um, knowing what you know now, you've played through the Nationals, obviously. Would you choose to bring a different deck, or would you make any changes to your deck if you had the chance to go back and do it again? Yeah. Well, uh, as for changes, I uh, like I probably would have uh, changed the level sevens up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I had a. Uh, level sevens I had were uh, two Zwart Defeat, one Zwart, and one Millennium on. Okay. I might have changed that a bit because uh, 
I know Sword De- like Sword Defeat is really good, but it didn't really feel like it was uh I don't know, it didn't really feel like it was doing enough like in my matches. Okay. So I might uh, consider like lowering dead and maybe putting uh like the Millennium on was uh like it's good when it's good and it was mostly in there like for uh uh Cranium on if I saw that come up because it's very hard for uh uh, yeah, Beale Star to deal with, or Tree Musketeers to deal with Craniumon, because yep. all the sevens are destroy based, except for that one blue one that some people run. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, I might have tried to like main deck a little bit more against Gabu Bond, because I I main decked a bit against it, but it was uh, I don't know. I might have tried to find more ways to disrupt your game plan, like the. Gazimons weren't as effective as I thought they'd be because it just kept getting, like, um, one Gabu matchup, it just kept getting bounced by, uh, yeah. I think it's Kendo Gururumon. Or Kendo Globomon, uh, uh, one of the hybrids. Yeah, the, the, the more expensive hybrid to Digivolve into, but it has the secondary effect of um, bouncing the level 3, I think it is. So. Yeah, so it was like, that wasn't too effective against it, and... Uh, I don't know, maybe finding more ways to uh, get around it. Uh, though, uh, yeah. Overall, though, I I might have actually just, uh, if I had more time to practice, I might have actually just played a different deck, because, like I said, I really want to try a loop. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, uh, yeah, and it's like, and uh, would have gave one last tournament for the Mega Digimon Fusion. <laughs> one last hurrah. Yeah. And that is the kind of deck I like to play, but again, it requires a lot of practice, so yeah. if I had more time, I would have done that. I also would have, uh, I also wanted to consider, uh, Diaboromon, because mm. that had, seemed to have a pretty good, uh, matchup against Gabu Bond, and, uh, it was still more of an outlier deck in that it was pretty new, and a lot of people probably didn't know how to, might not have known how to play against it yet. But, uh, the only the issue with that, though, is that I probably couldn't get the cards for it in time, and again, no practice with the deck, so... Uh, yeah, that is, that's an, that's an unfortunate reason not to be able to play a deck, but it is a very real reason not actually being able to get the cards for it in time is a bit of a bit of a bummer, but it does happen. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, that... we did get uh, EX1 kind of late, and the promo DM well, yeah. are, like, somewhere... <laughs> still hard, still fairly expensive. I think those promo Diaboramons, so. and probably given given that there was a Diaboramon deck in the top thirty two of nationals, I can't imagine they're going to get cheaper in the near future. Yeah, yeah, and I think the European nationals had three in the top sixteen. Not hundred percent uh, sure on the standings, but yeah, I'm not very familiar with the. Um, European nationals standings of haven't actually had a look at what topped in that uh in in those that event, but maybe I'll be able to find it and we can have a look. But yeah, playing a Gabu Bond was also a consideration, but mm-hmm. um, my uh, it's just a personal preference for me. I like uh, Gabu Bond was. The most anticipated deck I figured, and it's probably what most people were preparing against. Yeah. So I uh, like rather try to 
maybe play something like uh I don't think it was like so dominant that it made everything else irrelevant, so I'd rather like try to play something that would have a good matchup against it as opposed to playing it itself. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, that's mostly my thoughts on what I change if I could. Yeah, but so I'm glad that for the most part you think the deck went pretty well. It's always nice when you come out of an event and you can think to yourself, "No, actually that was not a not a bad choice. I'm not unhappy with that yeah. choice." Um like it's it's I don't find it a very good feeling when I come out of an event and I think to myself, "Man, I just really I messed up the meta call on that one." <laughs> oh yeah. Like, ooh, I brought the wrong deck. That is not a good feeling. All right, talking about the top decks from the event, um, what I wanted to sort of do here at the end is just take a look at the decks that appeared at the top of the different nationals events. So we got the European, the Oceania, and then, of course, the North American. This is a big one that we're going to be talking about. And um, just see if I can get your insight on it as somebody who actually played in the event because not only did I obviously not play in the North American event not being from North America I didn't actually get to play in any of the Nationals events I didn't have the time to play in the Oceania one so I'm a complete outsider so I'm hoping to get a bit of insight from somebody who was actually there playing against these decks so I've got the okay. North American top 32 in front of me now and um, 14 Garbibon decks in the top 32 decks from yeah. North America it does that you, I mean, you played against, obviously, nine different decks across the day. Does that sound about right? Was there a lot of Garbu Bond on the day? Yeah, that sounds about right. I, over the nine rounds, I played against Garbu Bond three times. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Again, too, what it could be considered, like, like I, I, I'm pretty sure by now it's considered the best deck in the format, and mm. that's what a lot of people are going to be, like, gravitating towards, too. Yeah, play that one. So it it makes sense that yeah. it would be about uh, a little less than uh, yeah, top three two. Mm. I'm not sure what percentage. So that's a little bit less than half, yeah, yeah, but not by a lot. Less than half, like yeah, very nearly half the full representation. Just that one deck. Yeah, and then we see that yeah. reflected in Oceania of the top sixteen decks. Six of them were Garbu Bond. Yeah. And then in the European Nationals, it looks like fully half. So eight out of the top 16 decks were Garby Bond. So across yeah. the English game, Garby Bond just dominating the events. Yeah. Yeah, that did get that uh, EX1 boost with uh, Ice Wall. And mm. I think that's really what pushed it over the edge into like complete like domination territory. Oh, yeah. Looking at, did get a chance to watch the. Uh, the the sort of finals of the North American Nationals and yeah, I think a lot I, of people watching were agreeing that uh it was less Garbu Bond that won Nationals and it was kind of Ice Wall that won Nationals that card was a uh, oh, yeah. well when you see it cast seven like when you see it like yeah. seven copies I think were used in one game between the two <laughs> players yeah that card yeah. is brutal very much looking forward to it going down to one because I've lost to that more than I care to admit. Well, uh, one of the games where uh, one of the games in uh, the Nationals there, my opponent memory locked me three times in a row with oh. uh, Ice Wall. 
So it's like, okay, I, like I had a bunch of stuff and want to make like a big swing into security, but it's like, all right, I swall, I swall, <laughs> I swall. And then when I finally did swing into it, I I, I hit an ice wall and they gained of two course. memory and it went back to their turn. Of course. I was like, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, so Garby Wand obviously doing very well, as I think we've already said with um with Sai earlier in this episode, uh talking about the Oceania nationals. It's just it's a very flexible deck as well. Like if oh, you yeah. can't get your Garby Bond strategy off the ground for whatever reason, you could pretty easily pivot into just like rushing out your Garbumon and do sort of a rookie rush strategy or like yeah. you've got lots of removal as it turns out because the Garby Bond is removing stuff. You've got other options there. Obviously we talked about the Kendo Garurumon removing those troublesome level threes with those sort of <laughs> abilities that turn off the memory gain. There's just it's powerful, the main thing, but then it's also very flexible, which I think made it a good deck to play for nine full rounds. So even oh, yeah. in those even in those games where, you know, across nine rounds, you're going to have some rounds where you don't get your main game plan going. But the ability yeah. to pivot into an alternate game plan, I think, made it just very good yeah. and consistent across the day. Yeah, that that's what really helps, too, is, like, the consistency over nine rounds is what puts it up there, because... Uh, like over a nine round tournament, consistency is usually uh a bit better. Is mm. like usually better than like straight up power. Yeah, because which... uh, nine rounds. That's probably why uh, Parfi thinks that's why you didn't see like many Jacemon in the tops because mm. less consistent over nine rounds. Like it's a less consistent deck, even though it is quite powerful. And I felt that a little bit too with Tree Musketeers, where it's like it doesn't have the same consistency as a lot of uh few of the other top decks even though it is quite powerful yeah turns out that that uh of of the sort of i guess going into the event the big three would have been if you'd asked most people they would have said garby bond three musketeers jessmon and then of those three garby bond is the most consistent so it's not really surprising in retrospect that yeah. it was represented so highly amongst the top decks yeah so, yeah, I know I said earlier that uh, I didn't think it was like H like over like dominant to the point where anything else is unplayable. So I'm I'm mm. not sure. Uh, like I, I I'm curious about how like the Gabumon Bond data like stacks up to like Lord Nightmon tier zero, like in terms of uh, win percentages and like tournaments. Yeah, that would be interesting to to go back and take a look yeah. at. With, I don't because uh, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think Garby Bond is quite in tier zero territory. Where for for those listening who might not know, when we say tier zero, we mean that basically if you're not playing Lord Nightmon, you like if you're not playing yeah. a tier zero deck, you're kind of not winning anything. It's, yeah, it's, it's like if you're, you're playing the tier zero. It is yeah. if you're not playing that, you're making an actual like game mistake. <laughs> yeah, which is I don't think Garby Bond is quite yeah. that bad. Yeah. I don't and think it's that bad. once Ice Wall is gone, it will yeah, probably... But, yeah, when Ice Wall is gone, it definitely won't be. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll bring it down quite a bit. But uh, yeah, it it would be interesting to compare how well Garbibon did versus maybe a similar similar tournament with um, when, you know, BT5, when Lord Night 1 was kind of ruling the roost. Yeah. Which, um... So, 14 Garbibon decks in the top 32. 
six Lilith Loop decks. It's the next most represented deck. Turned out to be Lilith Loop. The so which is interesting because I think, as we said with Sai talking about the Oceania Nationals, Lilith Loop is a difficult deck to play over nine rounds because you're doing a lot of thinking with that deck. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of like game actions and like different branching uh, plays you can make with it. Mm. Did you play against so... Lilith Loop over your day? Uh, no, I didn't see it. Okay. No, nine. But uh, you're always... Uh... Like you were, I was um, expecting it a little bit, maybe seen it once, but yeah, never ran into it. Yeah, well, interesting. But you were you were talking about maybe wanting to bring it. What is it about the Lilith Loop deck from your perspective that may, has made it that powerful, like to be so represented at the top? Because I think it's represented in all of the, yeah, looking at all of the tops, except for the European, interestingly, no Lilith Loop there, but it topped pretty well in North America. It topped pretty well in Oceania. What is it about that deck that's making it so strong? I think what like the thing that makes it like really powerful is that uh, like it can sort of not really like care what your opponent's doing. Once you get your combo online, you mm. just uh, the game's just over. Then like you might uh, still be playing for another like ten minutes, but it, like. Uh, like it has a very strong, like it has a strong inevitability to it. Mm. Like once you get your loop and online and like have your setup ready, like you're you're just going to win. Like it doesn't matter what your opponent does. Yeah, so sort of like one of those high like, rolly kind of decks where if you get what you need quick enough. Yeah. Like the the risk of that is obviously like playing against aggro decks that like will just kill you before you can set up mm. fast enough. But once you're set up and like you're usually pretty golden then. Yeah. But again, like you have to like really be focusing on like like what rookie you're going like like your inheritables and what uh champion and what ultimate, like, okay, do I need to uh evolve into this one or this one or move into this one like the exact amount of uh branching paths you make cuz uh, there's always a bunch of different options i remember uh, i was uh i just was a while back uh i was uh, giving titamon a tryout and uh, there was one match i specifically like it's similar strategy sometimes you combine titan and little loop but I remember this one game I lost because I involved into a uh, Kenkaku instead of a Genkaku. So I couldn't get the one memory from the oh. discard inheritable. And it just put me behind for the rest of the game. So it's like like you uh, snowball really well with Lilith if you play the cards correctly. But yeah. you can also, like, your mistakes also snowball too. So it's like sort of a double-edged sword that way. So maybe going considering that... um the North American Nationals was invite-only, so you're kind of getting the top players. Maybe it's not so surprising that a technical deck that really needs a strong pilot like Lilith Loop did so well, actually, because kind of when you're looking at the spread, it is it is those players who are maybe more suited to running Lilith Loop over a long day who would have chosen to pilot it. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's definitely one way to look at it. 
well, not yeah. I'm like I'm just looking at the numbers and making guesses. Yeah, the numbers <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of the numbers, we got five security control represented in the North American top thirty-two, so almost as much as Little Fleet. Um, that deck is still going strong in the English game, for better or for yeah. worse. You're still seeing a lot of security control. Yeah, that, that's what I was exiles thinking about, and it's like I like. It's just, like, incredibly annoying to play against. It's just, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. It's one of those ones where it's like, I could play this, but I don't think I'd have fun. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I appreciate hearing you say that. Yeah, and uh, it, kind, kind of funny with that. Like, I used to, like, when I first played against Security Control with at my locals with uh, Beale Star, it, like, yeah. the matchup felt really bad at first, but then it's like, figured out that, like, oh, I was just playing this, like, completely wrong. Mm. and Like, I was just playing the matchup wrong, and then it turned, and it's like, oh, it actually seems to be a great matchup, actually. <laughs> so it's like, I don't think I've, yeah, I think the last, uh, like, four games I've played against security control, mostly on online events I've won, so. Mm. It's yeah, like, it is... so it's like, when when I see it now, it's like a pain, it is, I'm like, Oh no, security control because I have to play against security control. But oh yeah, I have a good win matchup against this, so that's something. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an interesting one that really like if if you try to play against it like you play against any other deck, you're not going to have a good time. But if you go yeah. into it knowing like, okay, it's security control, I have to play like this almost this completely different game, and yeah. you know how to do that, then your matchup actually becomes a lot better exactly yeah which there was actually this uh one really like it was just a funny decision time against it and one of the matches of nationals where they had four security and i had like an impmon and i really wanted to attack into the security to kill the impmon so i could mill but i didn't want to put them to tree security to like put their magna magna germans online it's like oh no what do i do yeah, my 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 heart always says go in for chip damage when I'm playing a game, but you just, you can't do that against security control. You gotta exactly. They they want you to chip so like they go down so they can recover better. So yeah, because yeah, that, that that was a mistake I was actually making. I was always going in for chip damage at the beginning, and it's like nope, can't do that. You to restrain. <laughs> yeah. So also, uh, yeah, I was actually thinking about today to like ways to. Uh, because it's uh, getting nerfed a little bit when because uh, of the limiting of uh, reinforcing me- reinfor- reinforcing memory boost. Yeah, the yeah. six cost yellow option. It you look at your top two, put something on the top of your security, put the other card into your hand, and then it's got delay gain three memory. Yeah. So just yeah, a little like, bit of everything. Oh yeah, and uh, it's good that that was getting limited because that seemed like definitely one of the strongest cards. I was thinking. Well, if there was a way that, like, if we wanted to kill it completely, like, and it was like, I don't think that would actually be possible because the deck is just like hmm. a hodge, like, it's just a mixing of different security effect cards. It's like the only way, or like sometimes just really big Digimon too, like when they have the Megazoo version. So it's like the only, like, there's no, like, sort of banning solution, I don't think, to it. You just have to print cards that are good against security control. Yeah. 
more and, uh, delicate plan type stuff. Yeah, and uh, I think the uh, looking at BT9 previews, there's a big tiger coming out that I think in black that I think is pretty decent against it. Oh, that yeah, is remember to, uh, well uh, far in my future. I, um, yeah, I, d- I don't have the brain space to look that far ahead. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm still just now starting to look at BT7, if I'm honest. So <laughs> I think I've seen a picture of that card, but I could not tell you the name or anything that it does. Like, I know the one you're talking about, but... <laughs> All right, yeah. So I think, uh, but uh, yeah, to get to the point, I think security control is always going to be in one of those things where if everyone's prepared for it is going to be like terrible yeah because people who have like the right cards to play against it and like be main deck for it well main every deck's main deck there's no sideboarding in digimon yet so uh yeah but yeah they'll be prepared for it but it's going to be good when people aren't expecting it because people won't be prepared for it so it's going to be like one of those decks yeah i think one of those decks that you can ex- you can expect to do reasonably well if you bring security control and you know what you're doing, I think, because you're going to catch people off guard. You're going to get people who maybe don't necessarily know how to play against it because, as we said, it kind of forces you to play a certain way. Otherwise, you're not going to have a good matchup. So I think yeah. it's it's not a bad deck to bring... Maybe you can aim to win the whole thing with security control. I don't know. I don't play it, so <laughs> I'm not sure... Yeah. How how viable yeah, it is to maybe take out a whole tournament, but I think you can definitely say if, like bring security control. I know what I'm doing. I'm gonna make top whatever pretty, and feel pretty confident about that. It's kind of the way that I've I've been thinking about it, and I think that's the way it kind of goes. Is that you can expect to do a, a reasonable amount with security control, fairly not easily, but like you can feel fairly locked in. Yeah. And then those are really the only decks looking at the North American Nationals that were represented in multiples in the top 32. Everything else, there was just one-ofs, which is interesting. So you had Garbibond, Lilith Loop, and Security Control topping North America, and then a bunch of one-off decks. So there was one Rookie Rush deck. I think it was Blue-Green from memory, the mix, or at least there was green in there. So... Rookie Rush has kind of fallen out of favor recently. Is that what you've found in North America? That Rookie Rush yeah, is not as represented anymore? Yeah, I definitely found that too. It, uh, it, it has taken a lot, of, a bit of a hit recently. And that, uh, like, even in my deck, I had, like, Mechanorimon main deck yeah. for it. And you see, like, a couple decks doing that. And stuff like the White Tamer, what's his name? Uh, Iba? Yeah, Takumi Iba. Yeah, Takumi Aiba, and it's like, yeah, there's just lots of little things that deal with it. And again, something like um, Ice Wall too. Ice Wall, like, really slows it down. So mm. it's probably, aside from going down in popularity in general, probably wasn't a very good call for this format. They don't think if you're expecting a lot of Ice Wall, but maybe they might have had a way around it too. I don't know. They could have accounted for it. Possibly. I don't know well, the exact uh, deck list for the Rookie Rush one. Yeah, it would be interesting to see that Rookie Rush deck specifically because it managed to make top 32, so it must have had some way to get dodge those Garbibond decks. I don't know oh. if you can bring up a deck list at all. Uh, I don't have the deck list, sorry. I've just yeah. got the, Fair enough. the spread. 
yeah, I, I would definitely love to take a look at those deck lists in further detail at some point, but I don't have them in front of me, unfortunately. So we can only speculate. I, I can't even think what the card would be. I don't know Rookie Rush that well, so I can't think of how they would get around it, but they must have had a way. Um, D Brigade represented one of in the top 32. Nice. Commander one. Yep. I know a lot of people were quite happy to see D Brigade in the top because for a long time, black was kind of the, you know, the, the bridesmaid of the colors. Like, yeah, I know. And it's like, I, I sort of disagree with that too. I always yeah. thought black was good and I keep, and like, um, even at my locals, like there's a, there's like the four black people and the anti, uh, like, uh, like the people that like didn't think black was that good. <laughs> And there was a, like, uh, it got to, like, a point where it's like, okay, I'm just going to, like, this was BT5, so I was like, I'm I'm just going to, like, make black toolbox, and, like, then just, uh, like, okay, I'll play black toolbox, you can play Lord Nightmon, and I'm just going to, like, win now with it. (laughs) And it worked. So I just played black toolbox for a few weeks, and it's, like, for about a month, and it's, like, yeah, this is good. I don't know what anyone's like. I, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why anyone thought this car was bad. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it. It can get some wins, as as we've seen. Like, yeah. Commandermon represented there. Commandermon yeah. represented in the European Nationals top sixteen, and yeah, exactly. not it's not really... in the Ocean. Oh no, yep, there was a D Brigade deck in the Oceania yeah. one as well. So. Respect the D-Brigade. Respect the D-Brigade, absolutely. Uh, Diaboramon, one deck in the top 32. We were talking about that being sort of an outsider choice, but one that seems to have done fairly well, talking about the other Nationals tops. There were three Diaboramon decks in the European top 16. Yeah. um, I think people clued into the fact that the new EX-01 Diaboramon could make blockers that Garbubond could couldn't remove with its when attacky effect. I think exactly. it was maybe the big moment when Diamoramon started catching on. Because that yeah. is really cool. Because those tokens are level 6, so you can't clear them with Garbibon, so it gets really difficult to attack through them, which is nice. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it, I feel that was a really good uh, metagame call mm. on to people playing Diamoramon. Yeah, definitely. And again, talking about... Um, a deck that maybe people don't know how to play against yet as well. Like, you go into a big event like yeah. this, you know, as you said, you've got to tech against Garby Bond or know what you're doing. You've got to know how to beat security control. You've got, probably can expect to play against a bit of Jess Bond, so you've got to know what you're doing there. How many yeah. people went into this event thinking, ah, oh, dear Boromon, I've got to know how to beat, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Because uh, like, you can't prepare for everything, so sometimes yeah. it is good to just show up with a thing no one's expecting. Yeah, and again, Diaboramon, a majority black deck, so yeah, with, with, see. this this is uh this is the black colors time to come yeah, back. Their time to shine, and they're getting support the uh, next set and like with the next set and the set after with the ex antibody stuff. It's uh, mostly black based. Heck yes! So to all all my all my black players listening out there, this is a uh, this is your time. This is your moment. Time to shine. And uh, I think one of the tournaments also had a uh, Machine Germon top 
16 and wanted him. EU Nationals had a machine drum on deck in the top yeah. 16, which makes me very happy because yeah, the more awesome I've, I've built that deck and I've been playing it a bit and I love it. I think it's so much fun. <laughs> so seeing that machine drum on sitting there is just mwah, love it. Um, Black War Greymon, apparently, one of the other top 32 decks. Yeah, and... that was a... I, I saw that one and because I was like, Black War Greymon, what? Yeah. And it deck looked cool. It was, uh, what I, uh, it looked like it was, like, generally, uh, like, similar to the Black Toolbox builds, that just was running the promo, uh, Black War Greymon, which was really cool. Okay. Very cool. I was like... Again, an outsider choice. Yeah. I, that's oh. that is a deck I can all but guarantee that no one who comes up against it yeah, is going to have like, any idea oh, how to play around it, or at least not quickly enough to maybe yeah to uh, take advantage of anything. Yeah, very very cool. I think that was probably looking looking. I know you don't spend much time on social media, but uh, trawling through the like Digimon Facebook groups and stuff, so many people asking for that deck list and trying to track down the person who played it. I think people were really excited about that deck as oh, an yeah, outsider sure. choice, and people were really passionate about it, so very cool. Oh, yeah. Well, Black, Black War Greymon is a pretty popular Digimon, so like, <laughs> yeah. when uh, you're popular and potentially competitively viable, you know people are going to want to really make the deck. Oh, yeah. And then the the last... Well, we've got two, two more decks represented as one-offs. One, Lord Nightmon, of all things. Yeah, that was surprising to see. It was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, I remember uh, watching the stream too. Like one of the streams of the of Nationals, people yeah. were like, like, oh, show us the Lord Nightmon. We want to see the Lord Nightmon. And it's like, oh, that's a big change from like <laughs> BT five, where it's like, uh, oh, I'm so like at the lo- like that was sort of a joke at uh, yeah. locals, where it's like, oh, what one? It was Lord. Ni- like, uh, uh, we just already put in Lord Nightmon for first, and then everything else for. Yeah, it's interesting like... that somebody chose to bring it back, and that it managed to make it all the way to the top 32. Like, Oh yeah, that was uh, good on them for, uh, like, uh, yeah, I'm going just, uh, it almost made me consider, like, uh, huh, should I play that, maybe? Because <laughs> uh, that is what I got the actual invite with, with Lord Nightmon and BT5, so it was like, uh, maybe I should. <laughs> I was like, eh. I, need to... I had a little look at that deck list too, actually, and I think one of the cool texts they had was I'm pretty sure they had a copy of Sakuyamon in there. Mm, yep, Sakuyamon, kind of a, a dark horse card, I found. it's It seems to be slipping into more and more decks, that Sakuyamon, because we're seeing so much just like hide and raising area until you're ready to go, bring yeah. the Digimon out, and then like OTK or very nearly OTK, and the Sakuya yeah, exactly. Bonja says, no, you, you can't do that. you got to play fair. Yeah, exactly, because that's what uh, that's what Jasmon does, that's what yeah. uh, Gabubon does, and uh, I think Jax in general will usually like keep their stuff in uh, raising area against yellow, because mm. if you bring it out, you're worry, you worry about <laughs> it getting a DP reduced and die. Yeah, uh, The relevant text on Sakuya Mon for people listening is it, it's a yellow level six, and the relevant part is that it has um, w- when when your opponent brings a Digimon out of raising, that Digimon gets security attack minus two for the turn. So you can't 
So it checks two fewer security. So very, very hard to have it do any damage when it comes out of raising. So it really slows the opponent down quite a lot, especially those sort of OTK strategies like Jesmon, as we said, which wants to come out and immediately do a lot of damage. It can't do that anymore. So very, very cool little tech there. And then the last deck, one represented, it's a red deck, Argubond. Not Jessmon. Yes. Didn't see any Jessmon in the top 32, which makes me sad as a Jessmon player. But having thought about it, it kind of makes sense because that deck is really prone to bricking and bricking badly. And it's probably not the deck you want to play in a long nine-round tournament. Like, yeah. Talking about consistency being important, unfortunately, while Jessmon has the power, it does not have necessarily the consistency. And I think that's what hurt it across all the national events. Because you don't yeah. get represented very well in the tops. Yeah. It won Oceania, I think. But apart from that, it's only like, yeah. at best, I think there were three Jessmons in the Oceania. And that was the best representation it had across the events. So, yeah. sad. Yeah, I think uh, Europe 2, it won, but it was the only one there in the... Yeah. Top. Yeah, it was the only one because, uh, yeah, again, really powerful, but mm. inconsistent at times. Yeah, which does hurt it. But Argubond, apparently, um, that's a deck that's had, I think we were saying earlier with Psy, um, has had a bit of a resurgence recently or a bit of a it's coming into its moment i think people are starting to clue in that actually like just because jessmon is very powerful doesn't mean that Argubond is not a good red deck and actually it also has some cool stuff that it can be doing oh yeah for sure yeah there's uh someone at my locals plays it a lot and they're uh pretty and uh yeah like it, it, it looks really powerful and uh I did see some of the gameplay with it on, uh, like, during the stream. Mm -hmm. And uh, it had that, uh, like, I believe, like, a lot of the damage it ended up doing was what the uh, uh, promo Greymon, I believe, that has security yeah. plus one or something, if it has uh, Agumon under it. Yeah. And we, we so. spoke about flexibility with Garbibond. I think that's Argubond's yeah. strength as well, is that your Argubond bond of bravery is almost a backup plan to your primary yeah. plan of that sort of low-level um, yeah. promo game on two checks really early. Yeah. It can usually be pretty strong as well because you've got your DP boosting cards, yeah. so it can fairly consistently get those two checks. Yeah. That, uh... Yeah, it's fairly aggressive too. Mm. It's, uh, so that's always good to uh, like try to get under your opponent like if you can go with like have them basically dead before they can even like do anything yeah so very very good very powerful i've seen a lot of content creators putting up Argubon deck lists so i think people are starting to realize that it's actually a fairly good deck and right. definitely more consistent than the jessmon i would say yeah, like uh, yeah, that's what I think. A lot of people underestimate it because it was mm -hmm. sort of overshadowed by uh, Gabubond and Jasmon. Because people were, like just assumed Jasmon would be automatically the best uh, red deck because it has such a strong showing in the, the Japanese meta. Yeah, but uh, yeah, met metas can change. I don't think it's a always the like mm -hmm. the best option to assume that like 
the English meta was going to automatically reflect what happened in Japan. Because, uh, yeah, like, everyone's already seen that and might have already, like, found a way to adapt in the English meta because we uh, have technically months in advance to, like, look at the cards and, like, figure things out and uh, look at, like, the Japanese results and that, so... Yeah, like, don't underestimate the power of, A, the fact that English plays best of three, while Japan plays best of one. So whenever you see a deck that's doing well in Japan, you always got to keep that in mind. Yeah, like, that, that is definitely a big thing, too. Like, mm. as we were saying about Just Small's consistency, that's uh, definitely a big thing, because that's at least twice the number of games we're going to be playing with Just Small. Yeah. If it's best of three instead of best of one. Yeah, you don't need it to high roll once, you need it to high roll twice. And yeah. that really like is immediately a big ask. So yeah. yeah, or at least two out of every three times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is a, a lot tougher. Yeah. And then you know, also as you said, we have technically, if people are paying attention to it, months longer than Japan to look at the cards and try to sort of break them or figure out what's going to be best. Yeah. So. And, that uh, that is a factor as well. What's best in Japan is not necessarily by the time it gets yeah. to English. We might have figured something else out. People are pretty yeah. smart. Not me. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have to have people tell me what's good. But it's like there's people out there who really devote a lot of time and energy to figuring out what's gonna be best. And sometimes it's not what you assume. So you've got to keep an open mind. I think is what the vibe I'm getting from looking at all of these like top. 16s top 32s across all of the events like obviously garbu bond we knew was going to do well and it did but then when you look at what else is represented like there's a hexa blaumon deck in the top 16 for oceania there's like machine Dramon in the european nationals there's lord nightmon and blackwall graymon for goodness sake in the north american like don't feel you have to play necessarily the what everybody knows quote unquote to be the best deck don't throw out those old cards, because maybe like Lord Knight one, you can bring it back. Don't give up yeah, on like, your dream uh, of bringing Diaboramon into the top of a I, tournament. Oh yeah, I imagine that's been a pe- people's dream for a while now, because Diaboramon's <laughs> been around forever, and like... And it's just super like popular as a character as well, right? Yeah, and it's like, it's, it's finally placing in top. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people who are very, very happy about that. Oh yeah. For sure. Awesome. Um, well, with that, I think we can wrap it up. It's been like Nationals has been absolutely huge. Lots of people talking about the game, had lots and lots of data for those people who are driven by numbers to take a look at now. I think this is going to be because we've got <laughs> moving on from here, we've now got these cards for a while. I think BT7 is still a little while away. It's uh, end of February. End of February. So we still now have a couple weeks to play with these cards. So it's going to be interesting going back to locals to see how this information affects what people want to play. And especially how we move Uh, into the future. I think it's going to be an interesting time. I also think an interesting note too to point out is that uh, all the decks that were uh, in multiples are getting hit by the new ban list Mm. at the end of February. That is a good note as well, yeah. And uh, but I don't think like hardly any, if any of the like decks that appeared like just as one of are being hit by it. So it 
really is a like very interesting that like the like they they picked their uh cards to yeah limit and ban pretty well yeah i think they've they've had a pretty good assessment of what's actually causing problems or being too oppressive when they've chosen to limit and ban so that's a good sign yeah. for us i think as a game yes like I, I think the meta is like pretty healthy right now mm. honestly it's like lots of uh like you have your top decks, but I think like not like a lot of the tier two decks aren't like like there's a lot of tier two decks and nothing feels like completely unviable. Yeah, that and that's I think the 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 point about it being a healthy meta is that nothing feels totally unviable, or there's very few yeah. decks that feel totally unviable. Like you just yeah, can't cause... can't get anywhere with them. Yeah, because you're always going to have like your best deck or your best two to three decks, but uh, there's a, uh, but uh, you're always going to have like it's always good to have like the other like tier two like four or five or six decks that are also still completely fine to run. Like it's not a mistake to run like like the like like I. Uh, like just to relate to uh, other card games like Magic sometimes, or like the Lord Nightmont format, where it felt like uh, these are the decks you're running, and like here's the top deck or top two or three decks, and if you're not running any of these, you're making a mistake. But I like that Digimon Uchi doesn't feel like that. Like if you show up with Diaboromon or uh, <laughs> like uh, D Brigade or uh, Hexablau, it doesn't really feel like you're making a mistake. Like you still can do relatively well. Or possibly even win, like Yeah, definitely. That is that is nice. That is a nice place to be. Yes. Alrighty, I think we'll wrap it up there. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Um I don't suppose there's anything you'd like to promote or shout out here at the end. Uh huh. <laughs> I don't know. Uh yeah, I'm not sure I have much to shout out or anything. Like I said, I don't really have much of a social media presence or stuff to promote that I have. Hey, I that, don't know. Uh, you know, that's fair enough. You play a lot of yeah. webcam games. Any any Discord servers you want to give a shout out to where you've had some good games that maybe people uh, could take a look? Let's see. I uh, Well, aside from the one from my locals, <laughs> again, there's uh, this is a big tournament one. There's uh, Carta Magica, is a Canadian based company I played a few uh, tournaments in. Yeah. You sometimes see them on like uh like they're usually the yeah they're like the main I think they're the main Canadian store for Digimon at the moment. All right. And uh yeah they have a if anyone of there's that's not sold out yet they are having an online uh Digifest tank at the uh in March I believe. Oh yeah the the Digifest I think that's there's quite a few of those going on around the world. Um, yeah, they uh, they uh, they uh, hmm? something to look forward to. It'd be nice if there were a few more. Like I know the one that's happening here in Australia is not like there's one, and it's not exactly convenient. <laughs> like yeah. the city they've chosen is a, a bit out of the ways for quite a few people. So yeah, well they they might get uh, you might get another one if uh, there's like I don't know enough uh, <laughs> if enough people voice they want one because yeah. what the uh, Card of Magica won that the 
on why in one day had wasn't announced at first. They just had two in the states. Because I looked at uh, I, I I looked at it when it first came out, and it said uh, and it looked it was like oh I might do this, and then it said uh, our venues are in Florida and Texas, and I'm like well I guess Ooh. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, great. So but not only in is... a different country, but at like as far away in that country as you could probably get. Yeah. So uh, it was like, and it and like Newfoundland, where I live, is an island, so it's not um, exactly cheap to leave. Yeah, if you're going by air. Oh man. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's like wasn't going to do those, but an online event, and uh, but they, but then like about a week later, they announced the online one for Canada. So yeah, nice. That's nice. So maybe they'll get another. That'd be cool if they. Like had sort of a even split, I guess, between online and live events. Yeah, because like, well, I prefer playing physically. Like, uh, it's so much more convenient for people sometimes to like just play online from their own house. Yeah. So it's like, if, I think the option is better because like a lot of events, I like the, a lot of the online ones I play. If they were in real life, I probably wouldn't have been able to play them honestly <laughs> because it's like too far away. Because yeah, Canada is very big. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, fair yeah, it's like it's like a twenty-four hour flight to get to these places. Oof. Yeah. All right. Well, so basically, props to Carter Magica for stepping up and running something to make it more convenient for people to yeah. participate uh, in these big events. That's very cool. Aside from that, I don't know. Uh, shout out to uh, whatever local charity you have. Donate to, <laughs> donate a bit to that, I guess. Nice, I like it. Yeah. And on feel good. All right, I'm gonna wrap up here shortly, but I won't make you stick around for that. So thank you so much, Alex, for joining us. And uh... it was fun. Glad yeah. I got to. Love to talk about Digimon. So, oh, always fun. And with that, we come to the end of this enormous episode, and you have well and truly heard enough from me by now, so I would like to hear from you now, listeners. First of all, our listener question of the week is, now that Nationals is done and we are in the so-called off-season, what non-meta deck are you super excited to be able to brush off and bring to your locals now that we no longer have to worry about practicing for this big official event i would love to hear about all your jank decks all your pet decks that you're really excited to start playing before we see bt7 in this little lull where we're just at the end of one format and heading into the beginning of another i would also love to hear your feedback on this episode whether you think it was good whether you think it was bad if you'd like to hear stuff like this in the future if you want me to avoid stuff like this in the future all of that is very very helpful so please if you have any questions comments concerns or feedback especially you can email me at memorygagepodcast at gmail.com you can tweet at me at connor efmg you can join our facebook group memory gauge podcast or you can join our discord server the links to all that will be in the show notes and i am always happy to hear from you listeners new episodes of this show come out each and every week so make sure that you're following us on your podcast service of choice so you can stay up to date and if the podcast service of your choice allows you to rate or review our show please consider doing so because it really does help a lot thank you so much for listening this is the memory gauge logging out